Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, and 13 through 16. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Acts 7, verses 2 through 6. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others. Revelation 21, 10 through 14. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Word of the Lord. Several of these are our new youth interns, and I um, wanted you to, to get to meet them. Also, for the guys, it may be the one, only time you'll see them in suits, so um, we are glad they're here today, but uh, we thank you for that. Tomorrow, we celebrate our 240th birthday. But what we celebrate began long before that. 
Some 130 years before that, in 1630, John Winthrop, CEO of the Massachusetts Bay Company, founded a colony in Massachusetts area. And he wrote and delivered one of the most famous speeches in American history. And we remember it particularly for one thing. He borrowed a phrase from the Sermon on the Mount. And in that Sermon on the Mount, he said this, this new colony in America was to be a city upon a hill. And with the eyes of all people upon us, because, he said, if we deal falsely with our God in this work and so cause him to withdraw his presence from us, we will become a byword to the entire world. Twelve years later, through great frustrations, he acknowledged the failure of this dream. Ever since the Tower of Babylon, man has tried to develop a utopian city, a utopian place, all the way up to even in our own modern times. That was Hitler's dream, was the utopian greatest city of earth, Berlin, and a master race. This is the city, the place, there's something within all of us that yearns for this perfect place. This place in which all men are free, are at peace with one another, and are prosperous. There's something within us that yearns for that. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, by the very fact that we yearn for it means that it must exist. And in his probably greatest sermon that he ever preached called The Weight of Glory, he begins that sermon with a quote that many of us are quite familiar with. And he said, our greatest problem is that we desire it far too little. And he wrote this that you will remember. We are like half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like ignorant, an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud plies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You will never understand why you're on this earth until you understand your destiny and the great city that truly is upon the hill. Recently, I had the privilege of doing something I've not done in my years of ministry, and that is in eight days I did four funerals, three of them back to back. It is an incredible privilege to sit and talk with those remaining about the amazing lives, the unique lives of every person. 
But then you begin to ask yourself the question, what was it that God put in their lives that made that journey important to Him? When you face death, you begin to ask yourself that question, why am I on this journey? Why are you on this journey? God has given us this gift of life in this time that we have. The Apostle Peter, in the first chapter of his first epistle, puts it this way. He says, if you address God the Father as the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, then conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth because you have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. The passages that we have read today point us to these answers. As we've been looking in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 11, the first few verses talk about what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is the confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and consequences that we face in the things that we don't know or understand. The rest of the chapter then deals with what does that faith look like? And then we have a list of the individuals that we have been preaching about in these last weeks. In week one, we looked at by faith, Abraham, excuse me, Abel worshiped well. And then we looked at Enoch. By faith, Enoch walked consistently with his God. And last week, we looked by faith, Noah worked diligently for God's salvation plan. And then in this passage, in this little section, Abraham and Sarah waited for the promise of God. And it sets up then these thoughts about Abraham. Three things how Abraham lived by faith. Verse 8 says that by faith Abraham obeyed his call and left his homeland. In verse 9 it says by faith Abraham lived in the land as an alien. And then verses 10 through 16, by faith Abraham was looking and sought the heavenly city. Let's look at these three things. First, Abraham obeyed his call. He obeyed his call by going out to a place that he didn't know where it was going to be. Every believer receives a call. At some time in your life, you come to that place where you recognize that God has spoken to my heart in some way that I know that He is real and I want to move in that direction. That call might not be as audible as it was to Abraham, as we'll see in just a moment, but it is something that occurs inside of us. And we're called first to leave the old way of life. We are called toward a new way of life. I like the way one man responded. He said, God, I don't know what you're going to do with me, 
but I'm going to drop all these old things. I don't know what you will substitute for them, but I'm going to let them go with your help. It doesn't happen overnight, does it? And it didn't happen overnight for Abraham because we're told that he wandered about for a while, stopped in a city called Haran for a couple of years, and then his father died, and then God reiterated the call to him, and he went on down into the promised land. He obeyed God. By faith, we follow Christ. We don't always know where that path, that journey will lead us, but what we do find out is that he is always faithful and he is always trustworthy over and over. By faith, Abraham obeyed and he left. Secondly, and this was a big test for Abraham as well as for us, that he had to learn to live in this world as an alien. By faith, Abraham lived in a land it was a land that was promised to him, and yet it was a land that wasn't his yet. It was a land where he didn't put down roots. He was a foreigner. He had no rights. He had no privileges. He lived among a people who had different customs, different gods, and he knew it wasn't his place yet. And so by faith, he had to live in that kind of a culture. It was a test of patience. He waited for the promises of God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that not only Abraham and Sarah waited, but it also says that Isaac and Jacob and all of those that we have just read about in this book, this letter, chapter, that they all lived as strangers and exiles. They knew that. They understood that. But they didn't do so reluctantly. Listen to what it says in verse 13. <clears throat> All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country that is not their own. They welcomed, they looked forward to the promises that would be theirs. And they confessed, they agreed, this isn't the final place. We're strangers here. We have to live in a world that is not everything that it's supposed to be. And they declared that that was in fact true. And the reason why it says, because they, it says they made it clear they were seeking a country that was their own. That word country is the word patra, our fatherland, a place that was theirs, that came from the Father. And he goes on, and indeed, if they had been thinking of the country they came from, they could have gone back. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And then the writer adds, for he has prepared a city for them. 
You see, they knew there was something. There was a special place, a better place, a heavenly place. They understood this. Now, what was it that they saw? What was it that they saw that they understood by faith? The writer tells us in verse 10 that Abraham was looking for the city. Not just a city, not just any city. He was looking for the city. And it's a city that has two aspects to it. He says he was looking for the city which has foundations. Notice the plural of that. We'll come to that in a moment. A place of permanence, a place that is established, a place that will not be moved. And then he said, it is a place whose architect and builder is God. Now, how did he know that? Where did that come from? I think the New Testament writer gives us this understanding very clearly in this Acts passage that we read when he says, the God of glory appeared to Abraham before he left to go out of the land. The God of glory appeared. John says, when we beheld Jesus, we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son. Abraham met Jesus. And even Jesus himself comments on this. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he did. You see, whatever the glory of God appears, it's always Christ. And Abraham got a taste of the glory of God, and he got a taste of a God who comes from a glorious place, and therefore that God resides in a glorious city. And that's the city that I want to look for, where this God has come from, this glorious God. That was the hope of his great vision. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us about this city. In chapter 12, he says in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect. And then in the last chapter, he adds again in verse 13, Chapter 13, verse 14, for here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. And yet Abraham said something else there that is far more specific in his understanding about the city, which is quite interesting. The words that he uses for he was seeking for a city with foundations and whose architect and builder is God. There's only one person in the Bible who is described in this way, and that is Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 3, Jesus is the foundation. And the same root word used for architect is the same word used 
And Jesus was a carpenter, tectone. You see, Abraham was looking for Jesus. And he was looking for the city that Jesus was building. And that's why I believe he is referring, when Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going away, but I go to prepare a place for you. And in my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I prepare that place for you, that where I am, you may be also. It has to be what the writer of Hebrews leads us toward then, that this is the new Jerusalem of which John writes that we read in Revelation 20, that it is the city that's coming down from heaven to back to earth after Christ returns. It's a city that is being prepared for us. It is of massive proportions when you read it. And its builder is Jesus. This is what Abraham was looking for. Now, how does that affect you and me? It's the reason I believe that Abraham could simply leave his old life behind and could obey God and go to some place that he didn't understand. And he could live in a place where one day he knew would be his own, but he had to live among people who saw it as their own and had different rules. But it was because he had seen a greater glory, this great and true God that revealed himself to him. And Abraham had tasted of that glory. This is why Paul, and why I add this section in Colossians, gives this incredible dual command to the Colossian believers who'd also tasted the glory of God in their salvation. But notice as he says in that passage, twice with great emphasis, he says, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep on seeking the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above and not the things on earth. The words that he uses here are the words that are the strongest he can use to keep on seeking. Set your mind is the idea of make it your life's quest to see the things that are above. It echoes Jesus' words, seek first the kingdom of God. You know, after my wife died, all I could think about was heaven. And I studied it deeply, immensely, read scores of books on heaven. And God gave me gracious, wonderful, convincing proofs of her continued reality. And yet he also reminded me, Pete, the journey is as important as the destination or I would not have given it to you. You must remember that I have purpose for the journey. In fact, the more important we see the destination, the more we will realize how important the journey is. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said he found that those who thought the most about the next world were the ones who are the most effective in this world. 
So why would Paul give us this command? I think for two reasons. Number one, going back to originally what we said, it's that glorious hope of that perfect place that we've all dreamed about where everything is going to be right, all things will be set right. And that's what enabled Abraham to be obedient. He believed that. But secondly, and I think most significantly for those of us here on this journey, it's the understanding that it is from heaven that all the riches of grace flow to us. Notice when Paul says, seek these things where Christ is. Set your mind on these things where Christ is. He doesn't say seek Christ or set your mind on Christ. That he's already established previously in the book, but he talks about these things. What are these things? He doesn't simply mean the beauty of the rivers and trees and animals and angels and saints and all those things that we're told in the scripture are there. But rather, he means the truths that bring life to us on the journey. You see, there are 30, over 30 things in the New Testament that happen to you at the moment of salvation. And those things flow from heaven to you. Those are the things when salvation calls comes. It's from heaven that Paul says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to the riches of Christ who's in heaven. So as we, like Abraham, are on a journey, then we must turn and ask ourselves these questions. Do you need faith to obey your call to leave the old life? Is there something you really haven't left behind? You will go no further until you turn it over to Him. That's not perfect obedience. As we said, even Abraham wandered around for a while before he finally got into the right place. But the reason of what you need then is to ask God to show you His glory. You see, when you taste of the glory of God, all of a sudden, where you need to be becomes far more important. Far more important. Or as most of us, do you need a stronger faith to live in this hostile world? As our confession of faith said, uses this, the, the word, this sad world that we live in. Oh, there's a lot of joys. God gives us a lot of successes along the way. But when we begin to examine it, we know it isn't what it's supposed to be. But there's a hostility toward Christians who want to live for Christ. The world itself, the system of the world is constantly pressing you to live its way rather than the way of God. This is when you ask God to supply from heaven what is there. When you need strength, you need His strength. When you need joy, you need His joy. When you need contentment, you need His contentment. And that's when you ask for it and the riches of heaven are poured out upon you. Or finally, do we need faith to wait for the promises? There are things yet we know we haven't experienced. Abraham and all of these saints kept looking forward to the city and the country that God had promised. 
But how do you wait? I think the passage tells us two things. First, keep looking at what is promised. Keep looking at what is promised. You know, whenever you want something new, whenever you want a new car, a new home, a new vacation, or something new, and you keep reading about it and looking at it, and you keep imagining it and how great it's going to be, isn't it interesting how much it helps you wait? But you see, that's welcoming it from afar, as these saints did. Keep looking to the promise. And last of all, as Lewis says, our desire is really just not strong enough. When we keep our eye on the journey, then in an amazing and mysterious way, we are told that what we do on this journey will add rewards to our destination. That is an amazing thought. 1 Corinthians 3, it's mentioned over 70 times in the, in the Bible. The rewards that can be ours, can be. Jesus said it this way, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. For when, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So focus and ask to see more of the glory of God. Focus on his heavenly supply for what you need today. And focus on the fact that it is his journey for you and all that he wants you to accomplish. He is going to bless you in unimaginable, incredible ways. Our great and magnificent Father, we thank you for the example of Abraham who saw you, who rejoiced in your coming, and who saw you from heaven and saw it complete. Father, would you now give us greater hunger for the destination that we might have greater desire and obedience in the journey. In Christ's name we pray, amen.